Several months ago, and gosh, I think we're even approaching a year ago at this point, when we got our new church and school bus that's parked right around the corner. In fact, those of you in the side parking lot can probably look to your left and see it. Uh, Not long after we got it, it was like our shiny new toy. And one day came in in the morning and its catalytic, catalytic converter was just gone. Now, it didn't just sort of lose it, and they didn't forget to install it at the dealership. Believe it or not, someone came onto property and took it. And it was one of those things, we were looking at the cameras as to where it was parked, because it wasn't parked where it is now. And we figured, like, well, maybe we could see the car of the person who did it. Well, they didn't drive up Lumen Christi Lane. And remember, Lumen Christi means the light of Christ. I kind of wish they had driven up Lumen Christi Lane just to see the light of Christ as, you know, possibly to illuminate their hearts on their way to take our catalytic converter. What happened was they came in from back on the other side of the property, like hopped the fence, came down the trail, came down the parking lot, got under the bus. Clearly, we're pretty good at this because they were out in a flash and back out. Like we could kind of see them real quickly, like a... The bus is parked right by a camera now. It's like, smile, you're on candid camera. We're going to keep our catalytic converters, you know. And I think the time stamp of about when this happened, it was like 4.15 in the morning. And I remember after the fact, after this happened, we were discussing it in the office. And one of the wisest philosophers I know, Jim Brinsfield, said, wouldn't it be easier just to get a job? And it's a really good point, don't you think? You know, I mean, ultimately, when you consider all the effort it takes, frankly, just to walk along the property, hop a fence, get under a bus at 4.15 in the morning. I mean, really, most jobs don't start until at least 6, you know? Um, To do that and go through all that effort, and I remember, I think it was a few weeks later, a parishioner sent me a link to a news article about this ring, like it's like three people in a ring that have been stealing catalytic converters. And he said, I think I know who took our catalytic converter. It's a good point. You know, it's one of those things where why <laughs> do you want to go through life, you know, having to sneak around and get under buses to steal small parts of them, you know, to kind of get on by. Another thing that really annoys the heck out of me is we've had yet another spat of people getting emails that, say that they're from me, you know, they sign off, and the trouble is they're getting a little bit better at this. They're starting to use language that kind of mimics my own. In fact, this week, and this one I don't understand at all, there are even some text messages. I'm going to tell you the truth. If I need to ask you for help, I will call you. You will hear my voice. I'll make some dumb joke or allusion to someone around here or probably my family because that's what I always do, and I'll be doing it in a few minutes in this homily, right? So don't trust me in that if you're getting emails or even texts at this point, right? Um, Just let's talk face-to-face or at least on the phone and recognize my Illinois accent, okay? But once again, like, why? Wouldn't it just be easier to get a job than to pretend to be a priest and send out emails to get iTunes gift cards from, you know, folks that don't usually buy iTunes gift cards. It's just, what a crappy way to live your life. And I'm sorry to use that kind of language, but seriously, like, that's not a good way to go about things, right? And I say that because when you think about both those things start to break down relationships in society. I mean, what those people are going for You know, it's just what, like a quick buck, I guess? And even so, eventually, 
you figure you're going to get caught. And even if you don't get caught, at the end of life, when you look back on everything, I would imagine on your deathbed, looking back, what was my part in human society? <laughs> I tricked little old ladies into giving me iTunes gift cards. Seriously? Like, is that the way that we want to end things, that we want it to be finally? And I got to tell you, St. Paul is so good at warning people. You heard me last week. I do love the letter to the Philippians. Once again, if you didn't get a chance to read it last week, go back and read it this week. You know, this, this week, I, once again, I kind of am sad in the way that they did the editing and they just jumped in and have no anxiety at all, which is a good thing to hear. But just like at a funeral mass, we very often read John 14, where Jesus said, you know, do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, you have faith in God, have faith in me. It's important. It's an important line to hear, but to at least hear the context, to know that this isn't just a Hallmark card. He's not just saying, hey, everybody, don't worry. You know, it's not, uh, what's his name, Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry, be happy. Thanks, Bobby. I mean, that's fine, but if you don't have the context, why should we have no anxiety at all? Well, St. Paul is writing to the Philippians who are being uh, tempted by people who are trying, they're called Judaizers, it's nothing against the Jewish race, but they're trying to get them to rely on the law, to pull away from Christ, and basically rely on their own carrying out of the law. And, you know, kind of holding other people down. That Now, that's a very simplistic explanation of this. But he's saddened by this. He wants them to be happier, which he says this, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and the glory is, their glory is in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our commonwealth, our citizenship, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power, by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. As we learned last week, I mean, Paul is pointing to Christ over and over and over again, and we have to do the same thing. And the parable today, this gospel, gives us the hope in that. You know, you look at this fact, the way that it opens up, this is right after last week when we got the parable of the two sons. How does this one pick up? Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, hear another parable. The beautiful thing about our Lord is, okay, the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians, they're all trying to push him out, right? They're all trying to get rid of him. What does our Lord keep doing? He keeps telling them parables. He keeps doing miracles. He keeps driving out demons. He keeps trying. He keeps trying to remind them that their citizenship is in heaven, that we don't just live for this world that ultimately what they should be glorying in is the love of God who loves them so much, not just in earthly things, as St. Paul talked about, not just in current domination, but with an eye towards eternity. And I'll tell you, there are two key words in this gospel that show us the way that our Lord really looks at all of this. It kind of, we even get some insights really into the, into, the, into the Trinity, couldn't say the word for a second, into the most holy Trinity. After the landowner 
sends his servants, sends more servants, after they're treating them so terribly. I mean, they have to be thinking about the prophets who have come time and time again, who are killed so often, like Isaiah, the one who wrote our first reading, which is very similar, as you may have noticed, to the gospel. All of these terrible things, and yet, what does the heavenly father, the landowner, say? I will send my son. They will respect my son. And then, what do the tenants refer to him as? Here comes the heir. Not the son, the heir. What's the difference? They're not looking at it as a relationship. They're not looking at the love between the father and the son, which is so incredible that the third person comes about in the Holy Trinity. They're thinking of the heir, the guy who gets to inherit the stuff, right? And then ultimately, hey, this is what we'll do. We'll kill him and then inherit it all. Yes, that's stupid, right? I mean, there is no logic to that. It makes no sense. Just like, wouldn't it be easier to get a job than to steal catalytic converters at four in the morning? It's stupid. And why would you want to live your life like that, right? And ultimately, what we're called toward, besides feedback, is focusing on heavenly realities. And I would say especially this month, right? This is uh, Defend Life Month. We stand up. It's a pro-life month that we look at the eternal good of things. That today, when we all go downtown and stand at Innes and Maine and hold those signs that say so many beautiful things about life, about life beginning at conception, about life being beautiful, about the goodness of the people around us. And I'll tell you, I think one of the most important pro-life messages is to recognize that the people that God has placed in our life are the greatest gifts that we have. I love this month from September the 3rd to October the 3rd because September the 3rd marks the birthday of my first niece, right? My first niece. I'm about to have my second niece. I have, at this point, eight nephews. But the first niece, right? It's incredible. And that was already, my goodness, nine years ago. It's so wonderful. On Friday, October the 2nd, it's the birthday of both my sister and my sister-in-law. If I'm not mistaken, my sister-in-law is like three hours older, okay? So... I don't know, for some reason that makes it less weird. It's, it's not that bad. But then yesterday was my brother's birthday, the one who's married to the sister-in-law who was born on October the 2nd. Ultimately, I know, growing up, right, that my family very often lived paycheck to paycheck, that we weren't, like, rolling in it, right? But the greatest gift that my parents gave me were Rob and Katie and Michael. And I'm grateful that they did. And I know that they made sacrifices. And I know it wasn't easy. But thanks be to God, they were open to life. That they welcomed them in. And I'll say, I've heard, you know, grandparents say, you know, that I kind of wish I w could have skipped the gift of the kids and gone right to the grandkids, right? I've heard that before. I don't know if it's true. Um, but I will say that in some ways, I wish I could have skipped the gift of the siblings and gone right to the niece and nephews, you know? But in all honesty, it's true. I mean, the fact that my folks were open to that, it's the greatest gift I could have received. Now, they could have been more focused on the bottom line and all of those sort of things and looked at it just as the St. Paul says, their God is their belly, right? But no, we weren't just mouths to feed. We were four human beings who love each other and fought, of course. We fought like normal kids fight. But to this day, they're some of my favorite people in the world. I am grateful to God 
that we have so many wonderful little guys in the school. We have a junior kindergarten now, and, and you know, in the kindergarten. And now even in the third grade, I got to talk to the third grade class the other day. Little guy sitting in the front row, Mark. He was one of the first little guys I baptized when I got here. How incredible that is. That's the fun thing looking at the playground now. It's like, my goodness, I baptized like 75% of these kids. And it's a gift. It's incredible. And it's a gift that lasts forever. God looks at us as his sons and his daughters, not just mere heirs. This isn't just an economic sheet, right? This isn't just something that we kind of work our way through. The human beings in our life are so important, right? And so often we can be told so many different things, and you've got to do these harsh things and make this happen for the sake of... Ultimately, what are we focused on? We're focused on the love of Christ. That's why. St. Paul can say, have no anxiety at all. Why? Because we're called towards our citizenship in heaven. Will there be difficulties in this life? Of course there will be. And the Son of God shows that. And the beautiful thing for us is that he comes into all of this with us. And notice, when he even says, what's he going to do with those tenants? It's not Jesus who says, he'll put those wretched men to a wretched death. It's the, the chief priests and the elders of the people. Jesus goes on to talk about the stone that's rejected by the builders. Himself will become the cornerstone for all the world, right? So ultimately, what do we have to focus on? We have to focus on the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. That our king is Jesus Christ. That he loves you, he loves me. He wants us to love one another. He wants that kind of fruit. Not just catalytic converters, not iTunes gift cards, not, frankly, the crap that's going to fall away in the end. What he wants is us to recognize here and now that our citizenship is in heaven and to recognize that so well that we point it out to others that ultimately that is our end goal, to build a society that doesn't even consider abortion as an option. That, yes, they know, okay, Having another little guy around is going to be tough. Yes, it is. But you know what? We're going to rally around him. We're going to rally around mom and dad. We're going to be there as aunts and uncles. We're going to be there as grandparents. We're going to be there as friends. We're going to be there as a society to protect them that ultimately death is not what we look towards, but eternal life. Why? Because the way and the truth and the life is a person, and he is with us, and he will give us the strength and the grace to do what must be done. And ultimately, we stand out there. And we also hold the signs that say, Jesus heals and forgives. Why? Because the devil is so sneaky and good at removing shame when we're about to commit the sin and then beating us over the head with it for the rest of our lives once we've committed it. Jesus does the opposite. He tells us, watch out. Don't go that way. Don't kill the prophets. Don't steal catalytic converters. Don't treat other people as disposable objects. As Pope Francis says all the time, he warns us against our throwaway culture. He warns us about this, but when we do fall, when we do participate in it, and even in terrible ways, what does Jesus do? He heals and forgives. He calls us into this, just like in this gospel, with the chief priests and the elders, what's he doing? He tells them yet another parable. We're in chapter 21 at this point. Palm Sunday has already happened. He keeps going and going and going. And even after he dies on the cross, he's still calling them to conversion. He's still calling them to himself, just like he does for us today. 
And just like he calls you and me to participate in today, we stand downtown and we stand up for life. Why? Because ultimately we point towards the fact that our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. Not in those things which pass away. Not in mere earthly comforts and realities. Hey, they're fine. It's good. I'm going to go on retreat this week. I'm excited to sleep a lot, to be honest with you. To have a little bit of comfort. And I'm going to have a beer. It's going to be great, right? But that's not what my life is all about. Our life is good because our life is rooted in Christ. And by our very lives, what we say and do... We have got to proclaim that to a world that is so immersed in darkness, so much so that we're willing to think that life is not a good, that the baby in the womb is not respected, that the elderly person who is suffering, we consider even euthanasia, finishing them off. I will say one more thing. I told you, I always talk about my family. My grandma died a year ago today. I'm grateful to God I got to see her less than a month before she died. I'm grateful to my Aunt Kathy for taking such good care of her for such a long time. She suffered. It was tough. But she was with us. We respected her right up until the end. We prayed for her at her funeral. It was beautiful. And I'm grateful to God that she was a part of my life. And because our citizenship is in heaven, we have hope of being with her again. I'm excited one day to introduce all of you to Lily Eckert. She's wonderful. And the beautiful thing is, is that is the type of goodness we're called to. That is the reality that Christ gives us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to proclaim that in all that we say and do. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.